Welcome to the Destiny Church 217 Podcast, where we share the Sermon of the Week from Destiny Church. After the message, check out the show notes for links and more information on how to get connected with Destiny. Let's get into the message. Good morning. Some really smart people at MIT. You familiar with MIT? I believe it's Massachusetts Institute of Technology. No, 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 no. It's not Midwest Tech, Joey. Good try. Good try. (laughs) MIT, not MTI, right? Uh, They wrote a paper that I read this past week um, that says how expectations influence perception. I want to read you just a couple sentences out of this. Written on July 15th, of 2019, it says it's believed that prior experiences change the strength of connections between neurons. That makes sense because you, the more you fire those, the more uh, reliable they become. The strength of those connections, also known as synapse, determines how neurons act upon one another and constrains the patterns of activity that a network of interconnected neurons can generate. The finding that prior experiences warp the patterns of neutral activities provides a window into how experiences alter synapse connections. I'm almost there. Don't don't zone out. Here it is. The brain seems to be embedded with prior experiences into synaptic connections so that the pattern of the brain activity can be biased, so that it can be biased. In other words, here's what they say, expectation influences perception. Heavenly Father, help us today to have some really good perceptions of who you are, to have realistic expectations, Lord, as to who you are, what your church is, and how we are to operate in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Look up here. You have expectations over here, and then you have reality over here. The gap between those two is disappointment. You have expectations, you have reality when it sets in, expectations for your life, expectations for your marriage, expectations for your church, expectations for your friends, expectations, you have expectations. And then you meet reality. You go, wait a second, (laughs) that's not what I expected. So the gap between expectations and reality is disappointment. So I'd like to take this scientific paper and a few other things and apply it scientifically to the church, expand our horizons a little bit this morning. And uh, so just consider yourself going on a nature walk. You, ever, you go on a nature walk with someone and you, like you don't know the flora or the fauna and next thing you know they pick something up and they said, look at this, this is so interesting. And like you didn't even know that because now you're with someone who has been that journey before, who has some information that you don't know. Right? Don't pick up the poison ivy. <laughs> right? So that's what we're going to do. How you perceive something will determine what you expect. How you perceive something will determine what you expect. Expectation influences perception. And the gap between reality and your expectation is disappointment. So what I have here for you to take a look at, you're not going to be able to see it very well, but we have a picture of her up there. It's called a multi-tool. Now, if you just saw this, you can go like, oh, well, that's interesting. 
I wonder what that is. I wonder what it does. It's just a big hunk of metal. It doesn't do anything until what? Until you begin to like unfold it. You go, oh wow, look at that. There's wire cutters and pliers and this actually has 19 different tools. It's kind of the Swiss army knife of what you want to wear on your hip. It's got a, a little pouch that you can carry it in. It's got a little clip you can put it everyday carry there. It's got, uh, I was showing my wife this morning, screwdrivers galore and knives and you could really hurt yourself. This is not a toy. This is the real deal. This is not the little thing you get from China. This is made in America, ladies and gentlemen. This is, this is a Leatherman. This is the real deal, right? So we've got, you can open bottles, open cans, you can sew, you can cut, you got scissors. I mean, I mean, this is a regular MacGyver tool right here. But when it's like this, you go, oh, that doesn't look like much. If you didn't know what it was, you'd look at it, you'd have very low expectations as to what this could do. But as you're informed and you become aware of what it is and what it can do, you value it more. If this was just, if this was just uh, super glued shut and you couldn't use it, it's a very heavy paperweight. I mean, it's significant. It wouldn't do anything. But as you unfold it and you get a better understanding of what it is, you go, oh, wow, I can appreciate that. And so now my expectations are a little bit higher and we can perhaps meet the reality so the disappointment gap gets smaller. Are you with me? Yes. Okay, so... This means that your expectations, we're going to apply this, we're going to apply this to the expectations that you may or may not have about the church. So you have expectations, then there's a reality, and you can get disappointed with the church, and we're going to talk about some other things, but, but primarily stay on the topic of the church, and you can get disappointed with the church if you don't understand what it really is. And so that's what we're going to talk about for a few moments, um, but you probably have had that disappointment gap in your life where maybe your job is concerned. You get hired for this job. I got hired for a job once when I was a kid and it was nothing like they said it was going to be. You ever had that experience? Like, wait a second, this, this is not what it's supposed to be. Um, and I could regale you with some of those stories, but they're just horrible. They're just horrible. You had this wonderful expectation, particularly my very first job, you had this wonderful expectation, I'm going to make millions of dollars. And I, I think my, I was making $1.50 at my first job, $1.50 an hour. And then I got a raise of $1.85 an hour. Wow. And uh, what I thought was going to be amazing ended up being really, really hard work. So that happens in jobs. Happens in friendships, for sure. You get a friend and you have an expectation. And then the reality of what that friendship ends up being comes to play. You go, wow, I'm really what? What's in the middle? Disappointed because my expectation didn't meet the reality of it. And so, like, particularly with the team that we have around here, our pastoral team, when we're talking about responsibilities and things that need to be done, we try to very clearly mark out what are the expectations. Because if you don't have clear expectations, then you're going to be disappointed. I want to have clear expectations for whatever it is that we're set our hearts to do. I guess a place where it can happen is marriage. I mean, we got married when we were 21. We didn't knew nothing. We were stupid, just young in love, weren't we? 21 years old. What expectations do you have? Well, you bring the expectations of your family to that, don't you? The way your dad and mom interacted and the way their dad and mom interacted. Now, all of a sudden, you come together and in that relationship that you used to see, they did it this way. But in the relationship you're in now, she's used to doing it the other way. 
And so you have this gap between expectations and reality, and you can become rapidly disappointed. And I see this in the church sometimes, the disappointment gap. So I want to apply it to the church here for a few minutes. And uh, we're going to start with the idea that the church is a hospital, right? So you go, oh, here's this, here's this wonderful thing. And you go, oh, look at that. Oh, my gosh, look at that. Look at all the things you could do with that. Well, the church is a hospital. Now, have you seen this quote before? Church is not a museum for saints, but rather a hospital for sinners. Have you ever heard that before? You ever seen that before? You ever, anybody ever heard that statement before? A few of you heard that statement before? It's very, it's a valid, it's a valid statement. The church is not a museum for saints, but rather a hospital for sinners. But here's the problem. If that's your only expectation for what the church is, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. How is that? Well, let's... Let's pretend your life is a car. And if you get into a car wreck, you're busted down on the side of the road, your life, your car, you following with the analogy, okay? Your life, your car is a mess. So who comes along? Well, one of your BFFs, one of your friends says, oh my gosh, look at this. Or you call them, you say, man, I'm in trouble. I'm broken down on the side of the road. I'm riding two horses. It's an analogy, ladies and gentlemen. Your life is a car wreck. So you get on the phone and you call your friend. You say, man, my car is broken down. And well, my marriage is in problem. My kids are crazy. I've run out of money. All my job, da, 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 in life. And, and you're, so you call somebody and they say, hey, man, I got an idea. Let's get you to a place where you can get fixed up. Let's get you to a hospital. Let's get you to the car repair shop to get this thing fixed up, get you off the road and get you cleaned up, right? The church is like a hospital. If your life is a car wreck, and so your friend loads you up in the ambulance or whatever, they get you there and you, you stay there, they triage you, you, you get into the hospital and once you're in the hospital and you start feeling a little better, you have this, man, I, I, I'm ready to go home. I'm, I'm ready to sleep in my own bed. Because you know that a hospital is not a place where you get rest. I've been in the hospital a few times and it's not a place where you get a lot of rest because they're always poking you or prodding you or the, the death grip of the bread blood pressure cuff squeezes your arm off, pinches your arm off. Your arm falls on the floor because they pinch the thing so hard while you're trying to rest. And so there's not a, you don't rest there, right? So you're in the hospital, you begin to feel a little bit better. And so you go, oh, well, I'm going to check myself out against AMA, against medical advice. This is the thing you can do because you're in charge of your life. You can leave the hospital anytime you want. You're not a captive. So you can check yourself out. But here's the problem. If you check yourself out, what's probably going to happen is you're going to go back and get sick again. You're going to get in another car wreck. And so I'd encourage you to stay. Get healed up. But then a critical perception has to take place. There needs to become a new expectation that emerges in your life. And if not, <clears throat> then your perception of what the church can do to you is very singular. It's where I go to get fixed. It's where I go to get bandaged up because it's not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. And so if, if you perceive the church strictly and solely to be a hospital and an emergency room, uh, you're going to have some problems. Because then the church becomes your fixer. The church exists to bail you out when you get, in prob when you get into problems. They're there to provide the emergency care. They're your personal emergency room. 
And I would submit to you the church is then really not your fixer. I would say the church is your fix and you're a junkie. And I would say you come, you begin to feel good, your conscience begins to get soothed, you begin to understand grace and mercy, you go, okay. And then you go out and you go out and sleep with the dogs again. You return to your vomit. You turn into a Luke chapter 11 prodigal. You take your inheritance, you go sleep with the pigs. And you begin taking the grace of God for granted. And the church is something you visit every couple months when you start to feel bad about yourself again. Or maybe every, however often it is. And then now the church has become your drug. We're not the fixer, we are your fix. And that's a really, really dangerous place to be. You come and get healed up, and then you disappear. You go do your own thing. And the church now is your new high. It's your momentary place of comfort. Absolutely. Absolutely. The church is an emergency room. The church is a hospital. 100%. Absolutely. I'm not, not saying that it's not. However... If your expectation and your perception is that the church is only a hospital, then I'm just your pimp. I'm just the one who's giving you the dime bag every week, just enough to get you through till next week, get you high, soothe you, make you just comfortable enough to come back maybe in a couple weeks. And I don't want to be that because I don't think that's what the Bible says the church should be. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 says, it is he who gave some to be apostles, prophets, some to be evangelists, pastors, and teachers. That's the apes. That's the fivefold ministry. And why did he do that? To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. Not just you, because it's just not about you, so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all, verse 13, till we all reach unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God become, oh, there it is, there's that word. Become, it doesn't say manure, it says Mature. It says mature, attaining the whole measure. Then what happens is, verse 14, we'll no longer need the emergency room except for emergencies, right? A lot of times, I don't say a lot. No, no, okay, never mind. No, I don't have time for that story. But you know, some people use the emergency room like their doctor. They just go to the emergency room for everything. And then people with real emergencies have a problem getting in because there's somebody there with a stubbed toe who should have gone to the doctor or taken care of it a couple weeks ago. Sometimes that's how the church is, unfortunately. See, Paul knew a church like this. It was in, it's in Corinth. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he addresses this. He says, brothers, I would like to address you as spiritual, um, but I can't, you're worldly, mere infants in Christ. Like, man... The church to you is only a hospital. You're still a baby. You still have an IV of milk. You don't know the Ten Commandments. You don't know how many books are in the New Testament. And you don't know, you don't know what an epistle is from a gospel. You don't know anything about the word of God. And you've been supposedly serving him for 10 years. You're still in the hospital, ladies and gentlemen. You haven't grown up. You haven't learned anything. And I'm not saying that, that you can't. I'm just saying you got to call a spade a spade. And at some point, you got to say, you know what? We need to clean the emergency room out, get you moved up, 
have you have a, a different expectation as to what the church is. It certainly is an emergency room. It certainly is a hospital, and it's there to take care of those emergency needs. But if that's the only perception that you have, the only expectation you have between that and the reality is a few, huge gap because there's other things that happen and it create a disappointment in your life where the church is concerned. And so that's what Paul said. He goes, I gave you milk, not solid food, verse 2. So if the church is only a hospital, you'll never get everything she has to offer. The multi-tool is the church. So the pliers pinch things together, but we got things that cut. Dangerous, too. It's very sharp. If you stay around and you get healed up, then you have to grow up. You begin to have the expectation, the perception the church is more than a hospital. Here it is, number two, the church is a family. Number one, the church is an emergency room. But number two, the church is a family. And it's not something that you go to. I don't go to my family, I am part of the family. Family is what you belong to. When you get saved, when you get healed, you get delivered, in the emergency room, you get born again. What do we say? Now you have a heavenly father, right? We like that. You have a heavenly father. But here's the baggage that comes with a heavenly father, brothers and sisters, right? Have you heard it said you can pick your nose, but you can't pick your family? You ever heard that one? What that means is you have a heavenly father. You've been adopted by a family. That's awesome. I love my dad so much. Kids, not so much. The siblings, not so much, right? All those half-brothers and half-sisters, it takes a while to, 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 to foster a little love towards them. Guess what? That's emerging from the hospital. Look at me. That's emerging from the hospital as an emergency room into the family dynamic. In his book, When the Church Was Family, Recapturing Jesus' Vision for an Authentic Christian Community, Joseph Hellman says this. He says, long-term interpersonal relationships are the crucible for genuine progress in a Christian life. People who stay grow. People who leave don't. We all know people who are consumed with spiritual wanderlust. But we never get to know them very well because they can't seem to stay, they can't seem to stay place, put in one place. They move along from conference to conference to church to church, ever searching for a congregation that will better satisfy their felt need. Here's the quote. Like trees repeatedly transplanted from soil to soil, these spiritual nomads fail to put down roots and therefore experience no lasting and fruitful growth in their Christian lives. See, the church is a hospital, but it's got to be a it's got to be a family where you grow up, where you depend on one another, and you listen. And listen, don't lean on the government to take care of you. They're not a hospital, and they're certainly not your family, though they want to be. Church is not not an organization that you join; it's a family where you belong, a home where you're loved. Hey, good morning, let's go to church. You're, if you ever say that to somebody, they say, listen, you can't go to church. We are the church. We, Hannah sang it about it this morning. We are the church. So this differentiation between the ER and uh, the family 
is probably best summed up like this. In an emergency room, and I've been in an emergency room just a couple weeks ago with my whole situation. In the emergency room, let me tell you, it's all about you. You get in there, and you got their full attention. They're poking you and jabbing you, and, and it's all about you. We want to make sure you're good. You okay? I mean, the amount of attention that you get, like in a regular, in an emergency room versus a regular room, tremendously more. They're taking care of you. They're they're in your business and in other things, and they're just on you, <laughs> right? Um, it's all about you. Listen to this though. When you begin to see the church as a family and not an emergency room, what happens is there becomes a there becomes a a a a, a flip in the polar pole of your life because in an emergency room it's all about you, but in a family it's not about you anymore. It's about us. Listen to me. Family is about us, not about you. What about us? How are we going to do? How are we going to move forward? How are we going to take care of that? And now you become a team player. And now it's not all about you. In the emergency room, yes, you want it to be all about you. And the doctors and the nurses, they want it to be all, they're going to make sure that you're taken care of. Run all the tests, draw the blood, do the stuff, bandage them, tourniquet them, do, give them stitches, compress, whatever it is, we're going we're to take care of you. But now all of a sudden you're feeling better, you can check yourself out and so you can go get yourself in a wreck again. You can say, no, I'm going to move my, the, the, the expectation, I'm going I'm I'm to expand my understanding and realize the church is more than an emergency room, more than a hospital it's actually a family and in a family we care about everybody and everybody needs to be taken care of and everybody needs to be loved it's about us and that's pretty countercultural, isn't it because in the world today it's all about me 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 disappointment is the gap between expectations and reality. Charles Spurgeon, Prince of Pe- Preachers uh, in England back in the day in the mid-1800s, he said, not for yourself, O church, do you exist any more than Christ existed for himself. What a great statement. What a great statement. The church is not like a family. It is family. Heavenly Father, and you're my brother, and you're my sister, now, you may not like your brother or your sister, but you still get together with them, or you should. In an emergency room, it's all about you. But in the family, countercultural, it's about serving others. Yes, you come here to receive grace, receive mercy, and be encouraged and charged up, but if you don't come to be a blessing to somebody else, you're still looking at the church as an emergency room. It's still a hospital for you. I got something to give. I want to go. I want to go minister. That should be your mentality on Sunday morning. I want to go find someone who needs to be prayed for. I want to find somebody that needs to be encouraged. I want to find somebody that I can pat on the back. I want to find somebody that needs to be lifted up. Because that's what family does. Now that may not be your family. You may have a pretty, you may have a pretty wacky family. But guess what? The church is not that. So don't superimpose your screwed up family on the church. We have to have the same perception when it comes to our Heavenly Father. When I tell somebody whose father used to beat them and molest them and abuse them, God is your Heavenly Father, they go, I want nothing to do with that. Will you superimpose your carnal dad over, over the power of the Holy Spirit and you have a problem? The Holy Spirit should be superimposed over your life and over your family. That's why the church can be a family and be a good family. Yeah, you still have weird uncles in the church. But we're here to serve one another. Extend forgiveness. 
cook a meal, drive somebody somewhere to an appointment, babysit, teach the children, help in nursery, discipline uh, uh, the young people, help with the youth group, meeting someone to provide uh, encouragement or accountability in their life, help bring a sense of purpose and fulfillment, on and on and on, all the things that you can do in the family, that you come to minister here because we are a body, we are a family. But again, that can't be the only understanding of the church. Remember, the way you perceive something will determine what you expect from it. The way you perceive something is what you will expect from it. There's 19 different things that this can do. The church can do at least 19 things. I'm only talking about the three, the first three. The first is it's an emergency room, it's a hospital. The second, it's a family. And I, it's interesting, I think, the, I think the most thing like family, of all the tools on here, most like family, I guess it would have to be the knife, right? Right? I mean, how do you prove that you're part of the family of God? Back in the day, you were circumcised. Any takers? <laughs> the, family, the family can cut. And hopefully it cuts away chaff, cuts away things that aren't good in your life. Right? But the third, and the one that's often overlooked, is the army. So the church is an ER, the hospital room. It's a family, but it's also an army. And if you don't have an understanding that the church is a weapon, and the church is to be offensive and not defensive. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, we don't play not to lose. I hate, if you've ever, if you've ever done anything competitively with me, we will win. We will win, because losing is not an option. You're just the first place loser if you don't win, right? So we'll play to win. Some people don't play to win, they play not to lose. Oh, we're just having fun. No, we're not having fun. This is competition, and we will win. We will win. Why would we waste our time and energy just to get all hot and sweaty if no one's going to win? I will win, and I will injure myself in the process to beat you. I will. And so what we do is, is we kind of handcuff ourselves a little bit. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 18, you see the armor of God. Do we have a picture of the armor of God? You know this picture? That's the silliest picture. But that's some of our understandings as to what the armor of God is in our life. Like the Pillsbury Doughboy. Like the Michelin Man. You know, and we teach our kids this. I understand that. I understand. I understand that. You know, we have the sword of the spirit, yet the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the belt of truth, the sandals of peace. And you just put on the whole armor of God. But ladies and gentlemen, if this is your perception of the church, now remember perception and reality and disappointment, ER, ER, family, and now we're talking about army. If that's what you see in your mind when you hear the army go put on the floor, listen, 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 you're gonna get eaten. You will be eaten. You will be the devil's lunch this afternoon. Show them the next picture. I tried to find a really furious looking warrior. This This is what you should see in the spirit realm when we talk about the armor of God. And if you don't see that, you're setting yourself up for failure. You're setting yourself up for disappointment because there's a huge gap between reality and your perception. Now, are you tracking with me? 
First Peter 5. Be self-controlled and alert. Why? Your enemy... Your enemy, every one of you who claim Christ as your king, has an enemy. You now have a new king, and you are a part of a new kingdom, and there is a rival kingdom, and they, they are after you, and they want to kill you. They want to destroy you. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking, just looking for somebody he can tickle. No, he wants to devour you. He wants to kill your children. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to bankrupt you and put you on skid row, strung out on drugs and alcohol. And that's what his goal is for you. He is not your friend. You shouldn't toy with him. He is your adversary. And if you look at the church, oh, it's a husband and I'll get beat up and I'll run back. To Listen, sometimes you got to stand up and put on your armor yourself. A lot of believers either don't realize they're in a war or they don't take it serious. They're attacked and become wounded and incapacitated. Why? Because they're totally unprepared. Not you. Some people, believe it or not. They've been in a church. They've been coddled. They've been given IV of milk for the last 10 years. They have no idea the church is something other than a hospital because the church is, a, church is not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. And if that's the only perception that you have, you're a baby. Doesn't mean you're wrong. You're just a baby. You need to grow up, become the family, have some things cut off. Understand what the church really is and what it does and how you're supposed to interact. Because if you have a different, if you're, if the expectation and, and the reality are that far apart, your level of disappointment with me and the church and the worship and the songs and this building and everything is going to be pathetic. You're going to, you're going to, and then all of a sudden we become your pimp. And maybe just eventually you just, you just fall off the face of the earth. You gotta understand, you're in a war. Now, I took some martial arts back in the day. Um, not very good at it, but I, I, I did enjoy it. Um, but I think I took the wrong one. Because after I, after I became proficient, after I became proficient in, 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 in Taekwondo, I'll just tell you what it was. Um, after I became proficient, and I, I do hold a black belt in that, like 40 pounds ago, and, and uh, here's the deal, here's the deal. Then I run across, I run across the martial art called Krav Maga. If you're not familiar with Krav Maga, Krav Maga is a martial art and it's, uh, it, it has its uh, genesis in the IDF, Israeli Defense Force. And you gotta know this about the Israelis, when they fight, they fight to win because they're surrounded by uh, Arab nations and their back is against the Mediterranean. So they have a martial art. It's not like, like ha ha, ha ha, kick, kick, kick. No, no, they go, come here, I will kill you. Come here. I will kill you. I will put my fingers in every soft tissue that you have and I will pull your eyeballs out. I will grab vital parts of you. That's Krav Maga. Break it. Why would you just put them in a, in a pressure lock? Break it. Break their arm. Break their leg. Take their head and smash it. Literally, literally put your fingers in their eye sockets. I'm not trying to gross anybody out. I'm telling you what war looks like. And if you're going to walk up to the devil and you're going to slap him, leave my family alone. <laughs> leave them alone. 
You back up, devil. Not today, devil. Not today, devil. What? What? That's not how you're going to win. That's not how you're going to win. And if you have not been trained or you don't want to be trained, you're ill-prepared, guess what? He's going to eat your lunch. Let me tell you this about the devil. He doesn't fight fair. You think he's going to come and, and, you know, what is it called? Pugilistic, right? Pugilism. To be, that's the word, fancy name for boxing, right? Queensberry rules of, you know, he's going to, you know, that's not how he fights. That's not how he fights. He fights dirty and he fights to win. And if you don't come to the, if you don't come to the battleground with that mentality, you will lose. And many of you have suffered loss because you were ill-prepared. And now that, to be forewarned is to be forearmed. You said, man, I got to really, I got to understand what, what spiritual warfare is all about. If you don't, you'll just die. You'll die. Satan does have a military force. And the war's not over until the very end. Jesus has defeated him, yes. But he, continu- he continues to engage in guerrilla warfare. Improv- improvised explosive device, IEDs on the side of the road of your life to blow your car up. And when that happens, yes, come to the emergency room. Get healed up. Come back into the family. Learn some new tools. New, learn some new weaponry. Get prepared. Have a victorious life. Have an abundant life. But it's not going to be on your back in an emergency room with a drip of milk into your mouth. That's not a victorious life. Spiritual warfare, it's as, it's as real, it's as real as what you see on the news. Tanks and bombs and fighter jets and drones and all of that. In the spirit, we battle not with flesh and blood. I'm not talking about fighting city hall. I'm not talking about taking on a politician. I'm talking about when you play all kinds of crappy music in your house, edifying, sleeping around and doing stupid stuff and your windows are open, you're doing the boot scoop boogie or whatever it is you do around your house. You got the stuff hidden on the bookmarks on your, on your, on your uh, desktop and you got all this kind of crazy stuff hidden under your bed and all this. The devil walking down the street, hears that coming from your house. He goes, oh, I don't have much work to do here. He just comes and kicks the door down. Eat a little entry right into your house and starts eating your lunch. You walk into the house like, what are you doing in my house? You invited me. You invited me. With what? Your behavior, with your thoughts, with your actions. But you run a tight ship and you love God and you sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs and you trust the Lord and you put him first in your life. The devil walks down and says, eh, I don't think I'm going to bug him today. Or when he does come, and he knocks on the door. You just shoot him right between the eyes. You take a 357 and you go tung like that. Oh no, not no, not today, Satan. No, not any day. Back up. I will kill you in the name of Jesus. You have no You have no authority. Come on. Come on. You want to you you think you're going to my wife, my kids, my grand What? When you get that Now that seems a little bit aggressive. Seems a little bit aggressive. Yeah, it's really aggressive. It is. I'm not apologizing. And if you don't have that, if you don't have that bone in your back, you better replace your wishbone with a backbone because he's going to eat you for lunch. Yeah. Right. Ephesians 6, finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God that you can take and stand against the devil's schemes. For you struggle not against flesh and blood, 
but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, because of that, put on the whole armor of God, so that not if, but so that when, when the day of evil comes, when the day of evil comes, when the day of trial comes, when the day of temptation comes, not if, but when, that you have the armor on. Stand firm with the belt of truth, with the breastplate of righteousness, your feet with ready with the coming with the gospel of peace, 16. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith that you can extinguish all the fiery arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, you can go, <laughs> I don't know, is Birds and Brooks still in business here in town? They are. You go down there, it's the army surplus place, you know? You get yourself all decked out like uh, in fatigues and, and all of that stuff and, and you know, backpack and grease paint and, and army boots and everything like that. And you walk out of there. Does that make you a military person? If I were to go buy a police uniform from Amazon, a little funky little funny badge and a little hat and, and put, a, put, a fi- put a sidearm on and, and start walking downtown Springfield trying to arrest people. Does that make me a policeman? No. Hannah and I, not Hannah, Davina and I went to the ice rink for a minute the other day. They, they had an ice show and we wanted to slip in. We wanted to see what was going on. And, and I thought to myself, that doesn't look too hard. <laughs> Which is the thought I had a couple months ago with roller skating and my coccyx just healed. Uh, just because you own roller, just because you own ice skates doesn't mean you're an ice skater. Or a skateboard make you a skateboarder. And we have all experienced on some level the purchase of a guitar thinking we're going to sound like Van Halen or Stevie Ray Vaughan or Joe Walsh or Prince or John Mayer or somebody. We can barely get out Mary Had a Little Lamb. What's the point? The point is, you can have the armor of God and not even know how to use it. Well, I know the armor of God. I can recite them, and I know what they are. But unless you know what they do and how to use them, listen, you're a soldier that doesn't even have ammunition. You're a policeman that has a fake badge. You have the perception of godliness, but lacking the power. And Paul told us to flee stuff like that. So I'll conclude with this. Seven must-haves for the warrior who's ready for battle. You can write them down. Number one. If you're going to be going to battle, they'd say that the first thing you should do is be well-armed. Well, well-armed with what? How about the word of God? If you don't know the word of God, now listen, I moved you. Let's make sure we're all on the same, we're all in the same minivan here for a second. We talked about expectations, we talked about reality, we talked about the gap of disappointment. Now I've educated you, hopefully brought you to a point where you say, yeah, the church is more than an emergency room in a hospital, and it's certainly a family, and, I, and you may be here, you may be there, you may be somewhere in this continuum, but then over here, really, where you should be headed in your life is you end up looking like, can I pull my warrior back up again? Uh, Charlie, can you pull my warrior? Yeah, I love him. Or her. Who knows what that is? Who knows who that's a he or a she? I don't know. Um, but uh, that's, what, that, that's, what I, that's what I want to look like in the spirit realm. I don't know that I do, but that's my goal. And if you don't have that goal, you're going to look like the other one. Let me see the other stupid one. 
that one. That looks silly. Looks silly. Looks silly. Go back to the good one. Yeah. Everybody go, yeah. Go back to the other one. Go, no. Go back to the good one. Yeah. That's us. That's us. That's us. And that's how you get things done. You're not getting things done in the emergency room, right? You're getting healed up. It's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you. Then the family becomes about us, becomes about us. But if we become so enamored with our navel, you know what I'm talking about? Navel gazers? You know navel gazers? People walk around like this all day long and look at themselves. Right? If the church is just a navel gazer, if all we do is walk around and look at our belly button, then all we really want to do is, is have a fellowship hall for us. Instead of have a dream center, right? Who's that for? Not us. We didn't raise that for us. We did that for our community. And you know what God did? God showed up because of that. Because there was some warrior attitude that says, yeah, possess the land. Take the hill. We can do it. We don't know how, but we're going to trust God. We stepped out and God took care of us. Isn't that amazing? You know what? Was that the ER attitude that got us there? No. Was it the family attitude that got us there? No. What part of the multi-tool of the church got us there? A warrior attitude. says, take the darn hill. Can we take the hill? Yes. The answer is yes. The answer is always yes, by the way. Okay, we better hustle up because I got six more things to tell you and one minute to do it in. So we'll go like this. Number one, if you want to be ready for battle, you got to be well armed. And in the natural and the spiritual, you can make the application. Then you need to be in shape. You need to be in shape. Physically, of course, if you're going to go into battle, it'd be a good idea to be able to do a couple push-ups and run for a little ways. Well, in the spiritual realm, let me just tell you, you're going to have to learn how to bend but not break. Be flexible. The, the most dangerous Christians I find are inflexible. I'm not talking to compromise the gospel, but I'm saying be flexible. It may not be the way that you want to do it, but guess what? The lieutenants don't get to tell the general how to take the mountain. There's counsel and there's wisdom and all of that. Listen, we all have our place in the army, but we need to be flexible. Number three, be well-informed. Know yourself and know your enemy. Sun Tzu, the art of war. Know yourself and know your enemy. You want to you be victorious in battle? Know who you are. Who are you in Christ? <laughs> oh, man. You walk into a room full of witch doctors and there's a bloody goat head hanging from a string in the corner and they're putting a curse on a woman over there and you walk in, you go, oh, no, you walk in, you headbutt the goat and you go, come on, man. Greater is he that's within me than he that's within the world. Y'all just need to go right now. Who are you in Christ will determine the way you behave when sin appears in your life. And if you're in the ER, you don't, that's not the perspective. That's not the unks that you have. You've got to have a warrior mentality. So you're going to be well-informed. Number four, you're going to know to train and to practice. Like our security team, our safety team here at the church. There's people that are watching over us in case somebody got crazy and stormed through the door. We have people here prepared for that. How are they prepared for that? Well, they practice. Aren't you glad that, that, the, that the guard has a monthly rehearsal? Yeah, can you imagine they didn't and then all of a sudden we needed them and they go, you know, who's in charge? I don't know, we didn't practice. 
So you practice, you train. Number five, you have a network of like-minded friends. We call them soldiers. Around here, we call them to get connected. Have somebody that has your six behind you. That when you're walking this way, there's somebody there with you, watching out with you. That's called being connected. Number six, have plenty of food and water. That's the word of God. And number seven, have a survival kit. Know that injury is a real possibility, but still have no fear. Yes, the the church is a hospital for the sick. 100%. Yes, the expectation is that the church is a family. And that family requires sacrifice. But number three, an army, not just dressed for battle, right? Not just, in a, not just in a police uniform, not just in a military uniform, not just dressed for battle, but ready and willing. You can be ready, but then not willing. You're just as, oh. Lord, help me redeem my mind. <laughs> I have, I have Marine Corps father statements that come up in my, in my mind when I begin statements like that. I have to make sure and filter them before they come out because I'm, I'm getting redeemed just like you all, right? Listen, you're, it's useless to have the tool and not do it. Well, I'm well-trained, and if you don't do it, you don't step up to be on the front line, you're just useless, Be ready and willing. Here I am, Isaiah. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. I'm not much, but I am available. I'm not much, but I am available. Use me, Lord. And if you have that, if you come in thinking you are all that and a bag of chips, then there's a problem. There's a lot of pride issue in that. You come in in humility, say, listen, we're going to take care of business. Isn't that, isn't, that the, isn't that the strongest, most testosterone-laden male in the room? Not the one that comes in, I'm the tough guy. Just the guy walks in, he's got big, he's all, and he just, just sits there like a gentle giant. But you don't ever want to cross him. That's how, that's how I want the devil to perceive you. That you'll take care of business. He starts messing with your family, then you're going to start praying, you're going to start fasting. You're, going to, you're just going to kick him to the curb. You're not going to put up with that in your life. Disappointment is the gap between expectation and reality. We'll finish with this, Mark 8. Then he, Jesus, called to the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's Mark 8, 34. And 35, whoever wants to save his life, listen, is going to lose it. But whoever who loses his life for me in the gospel will save it. The church is you and me. The church is you and me. The church is not you. Well, I'm the church. No, we are the church. We are the church. We're an amalgamation. We are a conglomerate. We're all stuck together. Some of us would never have anything to do with anybody else sitting down the, the, the end of the row from you except for we have the same father. A place of privilege and obligation Hannah sang it today. Fear is not my future, you are. Sickness is not my story, you are. Heartbreak's not my home, you are. Death is not the end, Jesus, you are. Stand with me, please, this morning.
The multi-tool has 19 uses, at least this one does. I only did three of them today. The church is beautiful. We all are the church together. Thanks for being here. Some of you, you're in the ER, you need a miracle. This is a church that believes in miracles. This is a church that believes in the supernatural. And so when we open the altars, we say, come on down for prayer. We're saying, listen, you got a problem with your back. You got a problem with your kidneys. You got a problem with your blood pressure. You got a problem. We're here to pray for you. We believe for miracles, for deaf ears to open, for blind eyes to open. Well, that sounds, listen, he created the universe. So we're an emergency room, but we're a family. And a bunch of you going on encounter this weekend, uh, next weekend, the weekend after, that's great. That's awesome. That's becoming more of the family. You're graduating past an emergency room. Those of you that come to prayer meeting at nine o'clock, I consider you to be part of the army. You're part of the, part of the army. Not the entire army, but part of the army. When we pray for needs. We pray for our city. We pray for our country. We pray for our leaders. We're doing battle in the spiritual realm. When I take hands with my wife in the morning or in the evening for devotions, that's, that's, that's battle time. That's warrior time. Yeah, you can have your quiet devotions. You can have your worship music, and that's, that's great. But there needs to come a time where you stand up in the spirit and you say, devil, I'm not going to take that in my life anymore. I just, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to come toe-to-toe with you on that. Thus far and no more. And you have a warrior mentality over your kids, over your home, over your marriage. So hopefully today you've readjusted what your expectations are of the church just a little bit. That's my prayer. I don't know where you're at in a continuum from ER to family to army, but you're in there somewhere. Find out where that is and say, you know what? I want to move a little bit more that way. So Father, we bow our hearts and we bow our heads today. And we thank you. We thank you for the prodigal that's back today. Lord, may they be bandaged up in the emergency room. If you need to give your life to Jesus, now's the time. Maybe it's the hundredth time, but today it's going to sink in. It's going to be the day. If that's you and you're ready to give your life to Jesus, just raise your hand right now with me. Yep. Yes. Yep. Half a dozen of you. Six, eight of you. Yep. Lord, here we are, imperfect, needing a perfect God bring healing, bring salvation right now. Just tell the Lord, let's all pray together. Father, you have my heart. I will serve you. I will love you all the days of my life. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin and giving me a fresh start. Welcome to the family. Get healed up. Get healed up. It's a place of healing. Welcome to the family. And then figure out the armor. Wear it every day. He's called you to be a warrior. The Lord is a warrior. Exodus 15.3. The Lord is a warrior. And you're part of that family. Go in peace. Have a great day. As we conclude this podcast, we want to take a moment to say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please consider subscribing to receive our weekly podcast on your device. Check out the show notes for links to our website, 
more information about this message or to support our ministry. You've been listening to the Destiny Church 217 Podcast, your place for real, relevant relationships.